0: Welcome to the Shapes of Identity podcast. Tonight, we have a super special guest, Dylan Landy. I'm sure Justin will be correcting me in a moment because he likes to be technical at times, but I prefer comfort and relaxation. Um, so here's our co-host, Justin, and he's going to kick this off. All
1: right. Well, first of all, it's Dr. Dylan Landy. And it's funny, Dylan. You you will laugh. So Dylan sir I- eye roll. We will both be. In, we were both part of Shape New Jersey, so we know each other well. Stephen and Dylan know each other from Teachers College. We'll get into all that, I'm sure. But Dylan, this is why you're going to laugh. So uh, we do a lot of podcasting, a lot of stuff with uh, Dr. Martha. And so every time she comes on the podcast, I would always do the same thing. Oh, there's a doctor in the house, right? Like I respect the doctor. We do that. Just you know, it's funny. Well, Tara came on. I didn't realize at the time. Natara had her doctor, right? So again, it's Dr. Blackshear. So now I'm like, oh, you know, Dr. Martin's in the house. So now I have a black woman who has a doctorate being treated, you know, unfairly and and automatically assume she does not when she's a college professor. So again, I don't know if there's an assumption that she should have had it, but there's an expectation that she could have had it at the very least. And I never asked. And it was a great learning experience. She addressed it on the podcast. It was great. You know, I did what I needed to do to uh, repair the harm, but now I always try to ask, does anyone have their doctor? I actually did it. I mean, last week, right, Stephen, when we had um, the doctor from Newark in there and I was, I was lucky I thought about it and I asked, are there any, do you have a doctor and the lady had a doctor. So anyway, that's why I put a little respect on there. Um, I could go on, but can you tell us a little bit about your background uh, and that way we could hear what has been great in Dylan's life up to now?
2: Kyricka, so, uh, yep, uh, my name's Dylan. Uh, just to add to that though, uh, so Tara and I work together at, at Towson University and she's one of my best friends and we still talk every day and when I first started at Towson, I was all but dissertation at that point. I hadn't finished my PhD, and she had. And students who came into the program were calling me doctor, even though I had not finished it. And it had to do with me being a white guy, essentially. And then they were calling her Miss Blackshear. And it was like, you know, she's the one with the doctorate, right? I'm still working on it. And it threw students off. But it just tells you sort of, um, it unpacks those assumptions that people have. Uh, and more importantly, it, it is a learning experience for a lot of people, right? So as you just said, you probably, uh, you probably felt really uncomfortable in the moment, but now, you know, it helped you unpack your own bag. So, uh, yep, my name is Dylan. I did my PhD at the University of Auckland. I did uh, both my master's degrees at Teachers College, where Stephen and I met, and I have a bachelor's degree uh, from Campbell University in North Carolina. Um, I'm currently a lecturer in education at Strathclyde University in the School of Education, and um, prior to that, I was at Towson University. So, and something that I think is really important is that I was a health and physical education teacher for five years. And I was a supervisor of health, physical education, and athletics uh, in the largest school district in New Jersey. Um, so uh, I, I, I don't only sit in an ivory tower. Uh, I actually was you know, down teaching and with children on my knees, working with them and uh, seeing them succeed in different ways, so
1: yeah. And it's funny that out of all of those accolades, and again, you, you've done a lot of things that we'll get into. The one I love the most is you wrestled in college. That to me was like mind blowing. Like, oh, because again, not to be rude, looking at you, you look average, like not, you know, I don't know what a former wrestler in college in their I don't know, 30, late thirties or whatever uh, looks like, but I didn't pick up on that. And then when I talked to him, like, yo because i love wrestling i was not great at wrestling but i coached it i wrestled i love it all wrestling is fantastic so the fact that you wrestled in college to me like just gives you a little bit in my book of like you know that dude's got the physical and mental fortitude like to the next level because anyone that does any college sports wild, but wrestling in college is next level
2: yeah, wrestling's an interesting sport. That's what I'll say. I I, I, I said this earlier to, to y'all. I haven't stepped on a scale since I was 22, 21, 23, something about that time. So uh, I, I just,
1: I refuse to step on them. <laughs> all the emotional baggage from them. <laughs> oh, gosh. Do you remember your last weigh-in? Do you remember, like, ever consciously looking at the scale and being like, I will never be this weight again?
2: I I I think I said that every time I stepped on the scale. I I hated that thing. It was it was the enemy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was. I remember my district way in and I knew I probably wasn't gonna go wrestle in states because you know the season shows you that. And I looked at the scale and I go, I will never be, I think it was 159.9 because again you're right up there. I go, I looked and I was I I may have even taken a picture because I was like, I'll never be that weight again. And sure enough. An hour, not even 10 minutes later, if that, I never hit that weight again and I will never go back there in my entire life, God willing, unless I have some major disease we want. Anyway. All right, Stephen, what do you have for us? Why don't you hit us off a little bit? Anything you want to add?
0: Well, I mean, that's kind of shocking. They were like 159. I think the last time I weighed under 160 was like fifth grade, sixth grade. <laughs> I stepped on the scale the other day for the first time in many years and it was like 248. And I was like, okay. I'm okay with that. It is what it is. Um, but not really. Did we have a did you have a specific question you wanted to start with for this, Justin?
1: Well, I want to pick up where Dylan and I left off over the weekend because I feel like we just started the conversation that it wasn't it was over what's happened. It wasn't enough time and, and nuance to it. So I'll give you all a little background. I have spent the past couple of years learning about identities, learning how they impact the individual. And I'm redoing my health curriculum. Coming up, I teach fourth, fifth, and sixth grade health. Uh, New Jersey standards just changed. So I'm going, me and a lady I work with are gonna be redoing the curriculum. So my idea, again, before talking to Dylan, and every time I talk to Dylan, my head hurts afterwards because I learned something new. Uh, realized that I'm going about things not in the way that I should or could. So I said, here, Dylan, here's what I got. I'm going to try to tie everything to the individual and have them aware of their identities and then filter the standards through their identities. And I'm like, you know, give myself one of these, you know, a little brush of my shoulders off. Like, this is a good idea. Nobody else is doing it out there. I don't see enough tying to the individual. I'm thinking we're pretty good. Then I talked to Dylan. So Dylan, let's pick up, pick up from there. Where am I off? Cause uh, Stephen's kind of in the same boat with his curriculum. You want to talk about that before Dylan, where you're, where you're at?
0: Well, that is a whole rewrite again. So each year with quarantine, it's kind of changed dynamics. And then the more, you know, your students, the less you know about what you actually want to teach until you know more in some weird way. And this will actually be my last semester of teaching, which is stay tuned for the fall. I'm not allowed to say anything yet, as far as I'm aware, but I've always tied identity to individual as well. So when Justin brought this topic up it intrigued me because this is an area that I have to kind of dive back into because I'm used to doing with the high school levels. But now when we're talking elementary, this will be the first time actually diving into it over the next few weeks. So I'll be interested to see what I can learn this evening.
1: All right, Dylan, set me straight here. Let's, let's unpack some of the stuff where, where I should be going. Well,
2: well first of all, I, I don't think that what you're saying is wrong. I think it's an approach, right? So um, I think that at the end of the day, you know, your students better than anybody. So that's, you have to take that on board and that's probably the most important thing. Um, When I think about health education, when I think about physical education, when I think about education period, right? um, I don't try and tie things down to individual behaviors or individual acts or, you know, individual decisions. That's a very, um, uh, first of all, it's a very conservative approach, right? Let's not, uh, let's not look at the social factors of something. You are in control of your own destiny. And if you make these decisions, then you can be successful, okay? So even though we know that's not true, right? We, we have social stratifications, we have social determinants of health. Um, so then there's sort of a, a step away from that where people are saying, okay, but what if we focus on you know, uh, the identity of the person, and how everybody is different and therefore they have different opportunities to be uh, uh to express themselves differently through health through physical activity through education whatever it may be that's another great approach right but it still doesn't necessarily address the larger social issues that are happening okay so if if the goal of education is about transforming a space if it's about critically thinking about and empowering young people to transform the spaces in which they are in place. What are the tools that we can do that, right? Is that simply reflecting on an identity or is that reflecting on your identity in relation to other people's identities, okay? Is that reflecting on how the place that you're in actually shapes the identity that you are allowed to express. Right. Cause there's no such thing as being a boy or being a girl without those two things being connected.
3: All
1: right, kind so, of boy- yeah. Hold on. Let's, let's take a break there real quick. So you're saying that my identities are only as much as I can express them that if I can't express them, they don't exist or they're not acted upon. Talk, talk to me about this idea.
2: Okay, so two things here, right? The first thing is, we'll, we'll, let's think about the term identity, right? The term identity itself comes from uh, a Latin "identum," right? Which means the same thing over and over again. So something that is meant to be really personal, your identity actually comes from a, a historical tracing of meaning the same thing over and over and over again. So why is that the case, right? It's the case because identities are a negotiation between, you know, the individual, other people around them, not only people, but objects and things like that, and the spaces that get reproduced. So the way that you know, if you want to bring ethnicity into it, if you want to bring gender into it, if you want to bring ability into it, the way that people can express themselves are limited in the spaces in which they are in place. So what is acceptable to be a young boy or a young girl in a particular place of the world, right, is very different than another place in the world. So the identities in which people can actually express in many cases are narrowed before they even figure out who who they are themselves. They're learning from that narrowed view of what it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Good. But that's a whole different conversation though, right? The, the, The real conversation here is, for me at least, around health education, around physical education, around any type of education, even science education, is how are we as teachers, um, as community members, as you know, family members in some cases, how are we uh, providing opportunities for young people to learn about those external forces and to change them? How are we giving them the space? So that they're empowered to change the environments in which they very well critique. They know it's not a great place. So how can we help them do that?
1: Yeah. And that some of that's language, right? Some of that's examples we're showing. I'm trying to think in in my health class, what am I doing to try to, create a place where they can explore a little bit about their identities, and how am I making it safer for them to do that? Because especially where, you know, I'm in New Jersey, I don't know how much of identities are allowed to be explored versus dictated. You know, this is what you are because these are the boxes that you have checked, if that makes any sense. Hmm. All right, so now we have that idea. Uh, we're talking about identities. Now, talk to me about the the social construct, the social part of it. So I understand my approach would be very like meritocracy, right? Very bootstrap. That way is what you were talking about before, of the individual controls everything, and yet we know that's not true. So talk to me about the other side, the social side of things. What what when I'm looking at it, what lens? in in your opinion, do you think I should be looking at things with when I'm trying to create these new lessons and standards?
2: Well, I think there's all different ways to do it, right? I don't think that there's any one lens, Um, but something that, um, so I I, I work uh, with a teacher uh, in New York, um, good friend of mine. Uh, uh, He teaches health and physical education there. And something that we do in the beginning is we start talking about you know the different forms of health. So we 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 help them develop lesson plans and curriculum and you know and uh, we talk about what it is what is social health. Okay, so w- what does that mean, right? Does that mean connections with our family? Does that mean connections with friends? Does that mean you know our relationships with our environment, things like that? Uh, then we talk about what do we consider to be you know quote-unquote, physical health, right? Uh, wh- 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 what, what does that mean in a, in a setting? Does that mean uh, being able to participate in activities? Um, is it being able to, uh, 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 having abilities to be about your daily life, right? That's, that's you know, from a biomedical stance. Um, then we talk about mental health and we talk about all these different forms of health, right? So health is not one thing, but it's multiple. Spiritual health, right? Okay. so if we look at one phenomenon and we look at it from a mental health perspective, and if we look at it from a social health perspective, or if we look at it from whatever health perspective, is it, quote unquote, and I hate saying this term, healthy, So the the example that I always do is I I show up to class on the first day of food education and I put up a a thing on the board that says, is cake healthy? And I put the students into two groups and I have them debate it. And I say, this group has to uh, make an argument that cake is extremely healthy. This group has to make an argument that cake is unhealthy. And The unhealthy group always go down to sugar, calories, obesity. It's like everything that you always hear. And then the healthy group talks about how cake is that thing that is the center of amazing conversations with their friends, how it's the center of celebration of things like weddings and birthdays and anniversaries. They talk about how cake actually has the ability to make them feel better after a really crappy day. And they say, you know what? I just want a piece of chocolate cake. And that makes them feel both mentally better, but also physically better. It calms them down. They're like, okay, chill. Like, I feel good after this. So is cake healthy? Well, it depends on how you construct health. If you construct health as more than the individual body and uh, quote-unquote biomedical views of the body, and you think about the friendships that you have with others, and you think about the celebrations and the memories that you have even baking a cake with your grandmother, or if you think about having that really long day and you just came back and you had the most amazing chocolate cake in the world, then yeah. It's healthy. But if you want to tie health to a biomedical individual
3: belief system, very unhealthy.
1: Yeah, so what I'm hearing you talk about is the idea of wellness, right? So am I teaching the biomedical health of a body or am I teaching overall wellness? get... But I want to be really careful here,
2: right? Because th- th- there's this there's this belief that, you know, even so that biomedical side is disconnected from those other sides. And that's not true, right? So it, it, it <laughs> the, the biophysical body is not detached from feeling, it's not detached from others, it's not detached from spirituality and belief systems. It's interconnected with those things. So there's an argument to be made here that from a biophysical perspective, cake is also very healthy.
1: Yeah, it reminds me, I I used to do a wellness unit and we would debate, I would give each group one of the wellnesses and they would have to debate why their wellness was more important than the others. And then what they would have to do is they would have to rebut somebody else's wellness. They would get up and say, well, you said blah, 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 and they would rebut it. And then at the end, we would have that conversation of all the wellnesses. If if you're lacking in one area, it's going to impact your life in every other area. Like there is no you can't just take it out. There is no silo of wellness where if your mental health is great, you don't have to worry about your physical health or if your environmental health is fantastic, you don't have to worry about your social wellness. Like, So I think when we look at those wellnesses in that way, um, for me, that was one of the ways of showing to them that there is more importance than just the physical body. Because I feel like before, it was too concentrated on the physical body. What are your thoughts here? May? Yeah, you, Steven, anyone, listeners, talk to yourself here, people, hit pause, look out the window. Um, I I
2: think that the focus on individual behaviors and individual bodies has dominated health education and physical education for at least the past 30 years, okay? And what we know, more or less, is that it doesn't work, (laughs) right? So let's try something else. <laughs> right now, now that we've done this for 30 years and we've, we've, we've dumped massive amounts of energy, massive amounts of money, uh, massive amounts of resources into this approach that focus on individuals and changing individual behaviors, and we know that it doesn't work <laughs> on a large scale, let's try something else
3: and my argument would
2: be let's stop trying to change children how about that let's start from let's just start from that let's let's stop trying to change kids let's try to empower kids let's try to enable kids let's try to upskill kids not try to change
0: who they are
1: Mm. yeah I love that I mean that's again, I, I tie everything to my teaching. I do a unit on love. And I tell them, and especially even when I do my puberty unit, like, do you realize the astronomical odds of us all being in this room right now? Like think you were one out of 400 million sperm At that one time of the ejaculation, and I tell this to my kids, and they're all looking at me disgusted because it's sixth grade, uh, that I'm having this conversation. But I'm like, and that was just one ejaculation out of how many thousands of ejaculations had occurred before that time and after that time. I'm like, it's like winning the lottery a thousand, the Powerball a thousand times in a row. And 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 I tie that to the idea of if you understand how wild it is, maybe you could appreciate how fantastic you are right now. And then we, we talk about a lot about self-love and, and really that idea of you deserve love and respect simply by being alive. And yeah. too often, you know, we are trying to change them. Uh, and we think we're doing it for all the good reasons. And then some of the outcomes is, well, I'm not good the way I am or because I'm overweight or considered obese. I need to change that which again, we know the junk science, even around that, about the idea that not everyone that is overweight is unhealthy and being overweight is not necessarily unhealthy, and vice versa. Um, and then I got one last thought, I'll let you talk after this because we are interviewing you and not me. Um, it reminded me when you were talking about how the world is interconnected, Dr. King had this quote that when I heard it, it, it blew my mind like, yes, this, this is what I've been missing. It says, we are everlasting debtors to known and unknown men and women. We do not finish breakfast without being dependent on more than half of the world. At the table, we drink coffee that's provided to us by a South American or tea by a Chinese or cocoa by a West African. Before we leave for our jobs, we are beholden to more than half the world. And I think that ties in exactly to what you were talking about earlier.
2: Yeah, so something that I try to do um, is I try to decenter the human in what I what I teach, and I know how weird this is for a lot of folks, and, and in particular um, uh, in educational systems, right? So and the, in physical education and health education it seems to be you know um, really uh, how do I say this? We, we, we tend to be a little bit slower to pick up on things that are happening in education more broadly and sociology more broadly and psychology more broadly, right? And it, it just takes time for it to get to what we're doing. Um, and the, the best example of this is, and I, I, I don't want to you know um, say anything, but one, one of the top universities in the world um, uh, uh, has a physical education program um, and, the, the, of PhD students who are studying, quote unquote, critical type of stuff. And I'm at a a conference and uh, the the word they keep throwing out is humanist education. We need to to be more humanistic in our approach. And I kept saying to myself, yeah, okay, these are a lot of the same arguments that were being said said in the 70s and the 80s. And you're you're not going to get a disagreement from me here. I do believe in humanistic approaches, right? I, I think there's a time and place to talk about empathy, to talk about compassion, and talk about you know how humans live in this world. Um, but I also see the merits in decentering the self and decentering humans, but rather focusing on the relationships between different things to show our responsibility to each other right so rather than you know focusing on the self it might help to actually focus on you know the basketball court and the types of things both objects people um even you know weather all those different things that come in and affect that on a given day so student uh same teacher Uh, in New York City, we were doing a project where the students were uh, analyzing, you know, places that they felt in their communities. This was a a, a part of a project that we did. And the students had to draw a place in their community that they were were supposed to be or they are physically active, and they had to critique it. And one student drew basketball quirks, and in it, he had needles. He had garbage, he had members or people, right? He had a hoop with no net, one with no basket, one with no backboard, right? And his response to this was, this is supposed to be a place that I can go,
3: but I can't because there's heroin needles on the court. There's no net
2: or backboard. The concrete itself is really unsafe
3: and ripped up. Uh, and there's gang members who are there. We can talk about his decision making. We can
2: talk about his motivation. We can tell until he's blue in the face that you know to be
3: physically active is important. But that's the social setting in which his physical activity can occur. So what happens when we decenter the self and we decenter the human? Well, we start to see the
2: interconnected
3: nature between our communities, ourselves, health, whatever that is defined as, policy, money, others, all coming together in that little place.
2: So what did this young person learn, right? And, and some people will say, oh, well, we knew that from the start. They knew that from the start. Oh, they just learned how to critically analyze a place. And we talked about ways that they could advocate to make that better. So what could you do? How could you do this? You you obviously can't go in there by yourself and be like, hey guys, uh, I, I know you're selling drugs today, but I wanna play basketball. That's not gonna work. So what can these young people do as a coalition, as a group to make people aware of this so that things change? So is health education or physical education about promoting healthy behaviors or promoting individuals to be, quote unquote, healthy and change children? Or is it about empowering young people and teaching about health and about physical activity in all of the forms in which it takes place and all of the factors that affect or influence it? I would argue it's the second one. But I do understand that there are folks who fervently believe it's the first one. And it's about trying to
3: find sort of common ground with those people. Yeah,
1: I think that it's, uh, it's interesting. It's almost like political discussions I have with people. And it's like, well, it's not all personal responsibility and it's also not all government programs right isn't there something in between like yeah you have a responsibility to try and better yourself in some way shape or form right i think everyone pretty much agrees with that and you can't do anything everything well, I should you can't do everything by yourself it's impossible so i i, I when i have these discussions i try to say okay we can agree that education is important. We can agree that certain things are important. And we could also agree that systems are important. And I think that too often, we do fall into the either or, instead of you know, trying to find the, the both and in things. So when I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking, yeah, going back to your cake. Yeah, cake on your special occasions that, you know, creating these memories and this joy and positivity is amazing, right? Like, I can't even think of a birthday that cake has not been involved in. And even with food allergies, like gluten-free cakes, dairy-free cakes, you know, cakes with, with whatever sugars that, that certain people in my family could have. And I think of my daughter making a cake in the kitchen. Like, I have all these positive associations with cake. And, you know, I'm not going to tell my kids, wake up tomorrow morning and let's start eating cake for breakfast, you know, and and I think too often when people hear discussions and they want to poke holes, they'll go, well, if you think cake is positive, then what's stopping people from having cake all the time or what's stopping having people cake for, for breakfast and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I think that for me listening, that's one of my things is how do I get that both? And how do I say that? Yes. For me in my life, when when I'm looking at my eating habits, um, there are certain things I know I should be doing that I'm not, that can make me feel better or worse. And then there's also outside things that, like when I want to go outside to a park, like you were talking about earlier, I have a park that's nearby. I have money, I could buy my bike and my helmet and go to this park. So I think there's just, it's the both and that gets lost sometimes. And right now we're, we're stuck in the either or we're stuck in the, you know, here's the personal responsibility. If you eat, you know, more than 2000 calories and you burn, you know, less than 2000 calories, then you're going to be overweight. Obesity increases disease. And then that's how everything is pretty much predicated instead of, you know, let's look at the systems of where can we move? How can we move? Do you have the economic mobility to join a gym if that's something that motivates you but that's not how most of the world works most people don't go to a gym and even when they're looking to improve their movement so those are some of the thoughts that are rattling around in my head Um, which makes me think because again here's my ADD connecting to the other conversation we had about calories talk to me about your thought about calories because you were like the body is not just how much energy it takes for a fire to heat up one degree of water, one Celsius or whatever the calorie definition is.
2: Oh, I, I mean, I think that this is, this is like sort of basic, tip, right? Um, so <laughs> all, all these types of measurements that we have, they're what we call proxies, right? They're not exact measurements. They're the, the best version of a measurement that we have given the technology that are at our own fingertips, right? And and the way that calories are measured um, is uh, uh, essentially burning it and seeing how much uh, uh, it gives off. So I don't know about your body personally, everybody's bodies are different, but there's no fire inside of mine. um, And it doesn't burn the food, right? So I uh, have
1: fire inside of me sometimes, (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, but I don't think it's the actual flames that you're talking about.
0: I mean, I'm always hot, hot. does that count? (laughs) Uh, that can be taken in so
2: many different ways.
3: So um, (laughs) uh,
2: I I, I guess my point is that, you know, the the way that our bodies consume calories, right? Scientifically speaking, um, is is not the way in which calories are actually measured. So A, there's a difference there. Um, And and then B, uh, 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 everybody's bodies are different. So when, when you think about, you know, interactions between things, Okay. Um, And, oh, great example. Thank you for this, since we're on it. You know, you you were just talking about earlier the the likelihood of of how many ejaculations, I can't remember. It it was a lot, I remember that. Um, One sperm difference. Lots of
3: ejaculations. Right? One sperm difference of a, a, a sperm and an egg changes the child you would not have the same child so when you think about things and cells on that level okay when two
2: things interact or interact as some physicists would say or uh, it, it, it is two properties that come together and they don't necessarily
3: react the same every time what about different bodies and different foods we can't
2: say that the way you know foods uh, uh, are for some people are the same and that changes depending on your culture too right so your your ethnicity and your culture uh, affects and influences what foods your body becomes used to over time And that affects your body's changing because food changes the body, right? Then the body obviously changes food because it comes out a totally different color than it went in. Um, But the the point here is that that is a proxy. It is a guide. Um, It is not necessarily like the end all be all. There's an excellent book. If you haven't read it, it's called The Obesity Epidemic. It's by um, Michael Gard and Jan Wright. And they sort of trace all this. Uh, this obesity research. And um, one of the things that they trace in, in one thing is this calorie in calorie out uh, phenomenon. and it, it's it's quite funny because uh, it, it, the way that they they phrase it, they 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 take all this uh, the studies, they summarize them, and then they say, what's really interesting about this is that all these studies basically said, actually, you know the results indicate that the calorie in calorie out uh, uh, equation, does not work. It's not accurate. And then when it came to the conclusions, which is basically, you know, when the author has the ability to say what they want to say in many cases, they all said, even though it didn't work, we still think that we should follow it and it's trustworthy. <laughs> so it just tells you the power of quote unquote common sense. If something seems right, we sort of just jump on it whether or not it's right, because there's this affective element um, to us believing stuff that seem correct, um, which comes back to education. I think one of the things we should be teaching young people is to question those things, right? Stop, you know, taking things for granted and really critically reflect on that and if it's true or not and why is it true and who is it true for and who benefits from this truth right you know i'll tell you one thing uh you know western expansion when i was a kid wouldn't have been taught the same way if we thought
3: about that you know in the united states we wouldn't have called it manifest destiny we probably would have called it genocide so Taking, you know, knowledge and not only just
2: accepting it, but critically analyzing it and saying, okay, how does
0: power operate with us?"
1: Yeah, I mean, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts about obesity, read stuff on obesity. And uh, I think it's it's Michael Hobbs is one of the the people who breaks it down. Um, And we actually did a whole podcast on obesity. And it was, it's amazing how the WHO was influenced by insurance companies, you know, where that money came from. And that's pretty much where everything's cited. And also how overnight, like a third of Americans became obese, right? They changed the definition. But
2: but uh, let's, let's let's try and find some common ground here, right? But those are these city folks, right? I want to believe, have good intentions. I want to believe that, okay? I want to believe that some of them have the intention that they want us to live better, healthier, more physically active lives, whatever that means for anybody, okay? But (laughs) the way that money operates in those settings is that they're, they're told to look at particular things. Just about all of those studies, they do something. They, they, they hold constant socioeconomic status. Right? What, what does that mean? That, that basically means that we're going to run these statistics here, but what we have to do is that we have to take socioeconomic status and hold it constant. We have to put it to the side, right? And what that does is two things it takes it out of the equation, okay? And then the second thing it does is it sees if, you know, if the effects of whatever intervention or whatever they're doing um, are equivalent at each socioeconomic status stage, right? So does this work as well for somebody who is from a low socioeconomic uh, uh, background as it does for somebody from a high one, okay? But
3: to do that, they have to remove it as a factor influencing the results. If they kept that factor in, none of these results would be significant, right?
2: So that's number one. Number two, the the larger issue with the obesity research is that we're not allowed to sort of go after the things that need to be gone after. We're not allowed to discuss the fact that food is,
3: a for-profit industry, and whether the food is good or bad doesn't matter. Um,
2: and who it goes to, right? They are trying to make profit off of it. Same with the healthcare industry. Same even with you know the fitness industry and physical activity industry, right? When you think about physical education it essentially is nowadays training people to go to fitness centers or training people to sign up to pay, to be on a team sport somewhere. Right. That's a major issue here, right. Is how our quote unquote environment privileges profit over these other things that are important. So, My question is, you know, to the obesity researchers, because I'll be honest with you, I think in many ways we have similar goals as far as we want people to have options and and be able to live happy lives, right? We may go about it very differently. I definitely would say that. Um, But where can I find that common ground with them? And I'll tell you something, I know a lot of people who started in that whole obesity range, and they shifted because they're they're waking up, right? They're they're recognizing that it is way more complex than just waking up in the morning and saying, "Oh, I think I'm going to go for a run," right? Uh, and those are the people that I love working with that are reflective and will admit when they're right and when they're wrong and how they can get better. And I hope that, you know, I'm the same way in some cases, probably not when I was younger, um, but as I get older, I'm way more
0: reflective. Yeah. I mean, that even that even reminds me, I, I think I've referenced this a few times back when I was an undergrad, the health and phys ed club, they actually had a shirt that they sold and on the back, it said health and PE. And it was something in relation to the obesity epidemic. And it's like quality PE can save X amount of dollars over a year, which was kind of, at the time, you're like, oh yeah, this is like a good thing to do. And then TC comes along and you're like, oh, I was evil. I didn't know it, I didn't know it in time. Like, why were we doing it from this lens? And then it's like you said, you gotta find that like balance, like, what what does it actually mean who's benefiting who's profiting and stuff such like that but i think a lot of us were there it takes a lot of growth and like you said reflection and just being willing to do it
2: so i just uh a plug as usual so icep is a conference for uh, health and physical educators if you've never attended it this year they're doing a hybrid version online and not and i I truly fervently believe it is uh, uh, the best health and physical education conference I have ever attended. Um, and I go just about every year. Uh, I didn't go last year to Canada because COVID and also I was shifting uh, universities. And Dune McDonald is the keynote and um, Dune McDonald is one of uh, the figureheads society in physical education across the world. Um, She's at uh, the University of Queensland, which is in Brisbane, Australia, and uh, there's a purpose to this. Dune came to uh, Teachers College when I was a supervisor at Newark um, in New Jersey, and uh, I was putting on professional developments for the teacher, uh, and uh, I'll be honest with you, um, wow, I'm going to admit this, Uh, I I outsourced the professional development. And I hired a, uh, a a trusted organization in the United States because it was trusted by Shape America, which we need to question now. It was trusted by Shape New Jersey or New Jersey AFRD at the time. And it was being promoted by all of these top level physical educators. And it was Spark Physical Education, right? And so I invited these folks to come into my school district, not know anything about my, the, the the young people that I am meant to serve, the teachers I am meant to help, I invite these people in. And I got I got pushback from some teachers and I was too young and too stupid and too high up on a horse to listen. And i recognize that now um well i recognize it a little bit later so Dune is at teachers college and she's like i would love to see like an actual urban school i'm like oh yeah come on over we're doing professional development and she's the word she kept saying was fascinating and i was like oh okay and like you know i'm a supervisor this is dude McDonald's. had i think it was a year or two later she wrote this paper And the paper was talking about how teachers are power brokers now and how essentially we're throwing so much stuff at them from all these different angles that they are the ones who have to choose what's best. And I remember reading this as a second year PhD student. And at that point in time, I had had come out of the closet for the second time in my life, this time as a critical health and physical educator because um, you're not allowed to say that in the USA. It's very dirty. Um, and I remember reading it going, she got this paper from when she came to Newark. And everything that she said in it was spot on accurate. And it, it, it blew my mind um, on good levels. Like it made me reflect on my own shortcomings as a human as a teacher and I've I've written about my bad teaching before in the past Um, and uh, it's it was really really eye-opening for me so we can't change what we did but we can try to do better moving forward and you know I think that's something that I'm just going to continue doing is trying to do better for young people for teachers and for people in the
0: field. I think I remember that time pretty well because that was, I think that was the Like a Fish and Water article, correct?
2: Um, No, I think it, it, was a, it was another one. It was another one. I think it may have been that one. I can't remember. I have to look it up. I have to look it up. It was, it may I have see. been that one. It may have been.
0: I, I, think, I have think you literally sent me Spark, like examples, that same time frame. And you're like, oh yeah, you should check out this thing. <laughs> so, yeah. And then her yeah. coming in and so yeah, it's kind of funny, though. it's brought back the members.
1: Um, I know Spark stuff. I've seen it. Um, it's very engaging. I, I didn't see any major problems with it when I saw it, it being done. And again, I didn't look at it super critically, but it does make me think, uh, and I don't know if you want to go here or not. Let's talk about where was Spark created? Because when we talk about this whole idea of money, and how it's how we're all interconnected. I think the creation of Spark is pretty wild. Do you want to talk about this? Wasn't this you the conversation you and I had at some point in life? I, I
2: mean, we, we we have to. So just just uh, Stephen to to backtrack. Um, it was a Dune McDonald's article: teachers, knowledge broker, and futures oriented health and physical education, and it came out in Sport Education Society in 2015. Um, so, uh, I mean, how, how how do you sort of ad- adjust this? So Spark Physical Education uh, was developed through a grant that was provided by the United States government um, to researchers at San Diego State University Um, And the the purpose of it and the whole purpose of it was to raise physical activity levels. So we we have to recognize that that is the major purpose of SPARK Physical Education is to raise students' physical activity levels. Uh, So what it is, is a recipe like lesson plans that they give to teachers. And we also have to understand the, the, the sociopolitical situation that those researchers were under too, right? So physical education in California at the time was losing funding and was being taught by inexperienced folks. So they developed this curriculum for people who weren't teachers, like physical education teachers. They, they were developing it to get, for people who really didn't know what they were doing. And they said, hey, do this, it's better. And from that perspective, it's actually not that bad of a thing, Like, right? It's like nobody's ever
1: taught. Like, Go for it. In the beginning, if when you are a rookie teacher and if you do not have a full curriculum and people to lean on and do all this stuff, there are worse ways to teach than using Spark for sure.
2: Yeah, but, but for the record, we're not just talking about rookie teachers. What, what, what I'm talking about here are elementary teachers. So it was specifically created for elementary teachers because they didn't have to be specialists. So they were taught on math. They were taught on, like, you know,
0: uh, uh,
2: English. And maybe they had six hours as a prep course in physical education, they, they weren't physical educators, so this resource or this curriculum was created for that particular. Um, uh, audience of people who had never been trained on how to be PE teachers right, and it was to, to help them okay take that put it there wonderful now. It's not just that. So that it was like grades three to six. Then they expanded down to K2 and early childhood and then seven middle school, then high school. And actually now there's there's one on you know university methods. You know, we have people with PhDs in in, in physical education. And spark physical education goes, actually, we got something better for you. you know we we know that, you know we know that you 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 put a lot of time and effort into studying this, but if you use our stuff. anyway, um, and I, I think I think for me the the, the problem is threefold. Um, and And I've said this in the past with colleagues. Uh, the first problem is that the u s. government paid for this. My taxes paid for this. You want?
3: now to charge me money for it, and I paid for it, who are you talking to? If they if they created this
2: resource and then they made it free for all teachers, great, go for it, wonderful, I'm down. That's not what they did. They created a, they, they, they didn't create, but they they joined private for-profit companies and they started selling it. And they started selling it to to, to teachers who don't have a lot of resources to begin with. And then when they realized that they could sell it to districts, they went after school districts who are also strapped for cash. So I, I think that that's you know, something that I find really, really, really problematic. The second problematic thing about it is uh, uh, it deprofessionalizes the teacher. What do I mean by that? If anybody can come off the street, grab the book off the shelf and teach physical education. Why do we need teacher education programs? Why do we need people with degrees? We can just grab any Joe, Sally, Mary, or June, throw them in the gym and say, here, take this. So it deprofessionalizes the teacher. It releases teacher agency and autonomy. And therefore, it really doesn't care about local
3: places. Third thing, and you know, this is a major one, it
2: doesn't address social issues at all, nothing, whatever. So number one, it links health to individual decisions. And if you read through the templates and the books and things like that, it literally says things like eat right, be better.
3: Right, it, it, like
2: really, is life that simple? I don't think so, what do I know? Um, so there's no uh, addressing social factors, there's no addressing cultural factors, and there's no addressing, you know, larger civic duty and engagement. In addition to health being individual, health is, has and not being social, it is, does not address any form of different cultures and how different cultures view health differently. What it is to be healthy in um, Aotearoa, New Zealand, in a Maori culture is very different than what it is in New York City, in in one section of New York City, because even in New York City, there's different health cultures, right? So here is this thing that's being created by folks really far away, dropped into systems, And being done to children to change children without actually ever knowing children. And I I taught teacher education classes for many years, and I taught lesson planning for many years. And the
3: first step of lesson planning, numero uno, who are your students? As the first thing I tell students to think about. Who are your students? Because if
2: you're thinking about objectives and if you're thinking about activities and if you're thinking about goals and you're not
3: thinking about the young people, you're off base. Who are your students?
1: Yeah, I think the, the financial part reminds me of why I dislike most teachers pay teachers. And again, I'll say most only because if you've created it for your district, like you're working and it's part of your plans, you actually don't own that material. Your district has paid you. They've given you time to create that. So I feel like that's an issue. And I know there are some people who do it outside, like they do a lot of work outside of their whatever. And I don't don't, I'm not mad about that. I get that. I know a lot of people have the stuff on there, but the bulk of it is I use this in my classroom. I've created it for my class and now I'm going to sell it. And I'm like, well, it's not really how things should work. So when I heard that about spark the first time that that did it, I will tell you though, the, the benefit what we were talking about in the beginning, if you had a program that runs dodgeball, if you have a program that runs um, weighing people in front of other people and focusing on that, like if you have, malpractice, poor practices, whatever. Spark is head and shoulders above all of those. So to be fair to Spark, I think. And and then getting back to what you talked about, yeah, how are you tying things to your children? And if everything's cookie cutter, you should not be doing the same thing in California that you're doing in Illinois, that you're doing in New Jersey. Uh, That doesn't make sense from that perspective. And, And yeah, I think that was one of my things that, I haven't taught phys ed in a couple of years now um, that I love to do is have the students create games and activities and come in because to me, that was the ultimate. Now I'm getting the essence of you, what you like, what you want, what your culture's like, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm bringing that in. So if it's always me dictating the same thing to every kindergartner that rolls through for 10 years, then yeah, we're, we're missing out on a lot of that social aspect. Uh, which is huge. Steven, anything? What do you got here?
0: I mean, that's why this was the first year where I offered up a topics sheet. So at the beginning of the quarter, since I only see kids for like maybe 30 some days at a clip, what are the topics that interest you the most? And I picked like, listed a bunch and I had other areas where like, what's something that you have a question about? What are you interested in? And then it was just a bunch of random questions about them as an individual and how to like, funnel that together we'll say it's philly so it was a little struggle a little struggle but i got a lot of good stuff on there so i was able to actually kind of come up with some new stuff and i'm actually in the process of writing quarter three right now we only started this week realistically so we'll see that when everything from like cpr to topics of just like personal development, negotiation strategies, stuff like that. So you got to know your kids and if you don't ask them the questions, you'll never know.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Canada. If we could circle back, because I feel like Canada is just head and shoulders above a lot of what I see here Uh, and some of the stuff that they're putting out, Like I, that's where I go for a lot of my reading, for a lot of my seeing what they're doing. I think Lamp PE is not out of Canada as well, where they're trying to figure uh, these things out using a lot of like Kretchmar stuff. Um, And and I, I don't know why, why, why is Canada? What, what's? Why are they so? I don't want to say ahead of us, but what's what is the difference in their philosophy? what's going on here and is their philosophy different than other countries what what has them going to be uh, a little bit ahead of the curve i I can't i can't
2: speak about canada i I, i've never well i've been to canada but i've never um engaged much with canadian physical educators i've never um, been um at canadian teacher education programs um actually to be quite honest with you uh i'm I'm doing a session at uh, PHE Canada next week, and it's the first time that I'm learning about things. And w- w- one of the sessions that they want me to, or the session that they asked me to do um, was around gender and PE. And it, I, this is where I find it really difficult to say, these people are so much better than we are. Or those people are so much better than we are. Um, what I can tell you is from a New Zealand perspective, and I'm starting to learn from a Scottish perspective. I, I still I, I I have so much to learn here. Um, And what I can tell you how that relates to physical education in the United States, which is where I was trained, right? And I think that's really important to know that I trained as a physical educator in the United States and a health educator in the United States. I was part of Shape New Jersey, Shape America. I was a teacher in the United States and I was a school district administrator in the United States. So let's take that and throw that right there. When I compare New Zealand or Aotearoa New Zealand and Scotland, to the United States, and this is strictly from a um, teacher education perspective now. Right now, we are in the middle of choosing which uh, people are we going to accept into our teacher education program here at Strathclyde clyde University. We accept 18 to 20 students per year,
3: and every year we get roughly 450 applications. Let that sink in. Every year, our program gets 400 400 plus applications. Last year, we had over 500. This year, we have about 430, and we choose 18 to 20. We get to choose the cream of the crop. When I
2: taught in the United States, and I was part of several teacher education programs,
3: The two basic rules were, if I put a mirror under your nose, does it fog up? And do you have a pulse and are you paying tuition? Right? So
2: the US is driven by markets. Physical education programs in the United States are shutting down left and right. Why are they shutting down? Because they don't have enough students. So we're talking about Teacher educators, people who are professors at universities, their jobs are on the
3: line if they don't accept people. So one, I think, I think we sort of have a quality of recruitment that is very different. That's for starters. Um,
2: two, uh, teacher education outside of the United States. Uh, If it's a four-year program um, like it is in uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand, it's four years of health
3: and physical education. There are two electives. There are no English literatures, no whatever it is, flavor of the semester.
2: And the argument for these liberal arts courses is that, well, it creates breadth and we we are we we're,
3: we're more well-rounded humans. People were teaching Foucault in physical education classes in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So, if the subject matter that you're going in is in depth enough,
2: like it was there. You do those cross-curricular things because you're influenced by sociology, because you're influenced by psychology, because you're influenced by math, because you're influenced by, they they have to develop the skills to write a good argument. Like they have to be good
3: readers and writers. Just a different level. One of the main things that I think is really important
2: is that the curriculum in uh, both Aotearoa and New Zealand, and I can speak, a little bit to Canada here, they, they integrate non-Western ideals. So they see health from Indigenous perspectives. They don't assume that biomedical and Westernized views of the body are privileged over holistic, interconnected wellness. So it's not about just teaching one way, but it's about actually understanding how the body operates across different cultures and how it's understood conceptually across different cultures. Um, Something that I think is really powerful is that Physical Education New Zealand, the Scottish Association for Teachers in Physical
3: Education and AFPE, and PHE Canada, Whilst they are bound to money in some ways, they don't make their decisions off of them.
2: So what I found to be really mind boggling is when I go to a conference in the USA, a Shape America conference, a New Jersey Shape conference, a Maryland Shape, doesn't matter what shape it is. it's, It's one of those shape conferences.
3: I am bombarded by for-profit companies trying to sling me the greatest and latest thing, rather than the organization saying, um, no,
2: we're not gonna take this, this snake oil product and put it in front of our teachers. They take the money and they say, here's your spot. And usually that spot also comes with some sort of a session. So these organizations take their job very seriously about vetting who they allow access their teachers to.
3: And they have a very strong relationship with the higher education community. I I think it's really problematic how entangled,
2: um, and this isn't just SHAPE. This is a lot of different educational organizations in the U.S. How entangled these organizations are with corporate interests. When you think about the last four presidents shape America. Each of them in some way have been
3: connected to a for profit company or um, consultancy. That's a little problematic. I think that
1: speaks to capitalism. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. I mean, that's literally how our country But are you saying that New Zealand isn't a capitalist
2: country? Because it is I don't
1: know that it's Canada is a cap
2: Canada is a capitalist country. The UK is a capitalist country. But there's a difference between the role that the organization
3: decides that they want to play. Hmm. And for some organizations certain values are more important. But again, that's just
2: one of a lot of things. And we also have to realize that teachers in schools are doing the best they can given the stuff that they are up against, okay? They, they have less and less time with kids, they have less and less equipment, they have less and less actual access to good resources, because they're the ones who have to decide if it's good or not. Like, you know, th- there's no thing that's funneling that like it, like it should be, like PHE is doing and like SAP is doing or Pens is doing, right? Th- these folks are under pressure. And everybody always says, "Well, why is the, the the multi-activity model still persisting in physical education?" It's pretty simple.
3: It's the best model for the situations that most of these teachers are in. Is it a the, good model? No.
1: What What would be a better model?
2: Well, I think I think there are excellent different approaches, right? So I think, you know, if you look at the state of North Carolina and you look at the Lake County public school system, they've done a really nice job about uh, creating elective physical education, right? So you do like a basic healthful living course, I think it's called. It's been many years. I think it's a basic healthful living course in your freshman year. And then after that, you choose what you want to go into. If you want to do team sports, you go to team sports. If you want to do individual activities, you do that. They even had this really cool course called PET, Physical Education Preparation. And it was for juniors and seniors, I think. But these are for folks who want to be PE teachers or thinking they might want to be PE teachers or teachers of any course, and they just love kids. And as seniors, they would take this course, the physical education teacher would teach them how to like organize games and activities, and then on their on the, the elementary school's lunch program, those kids would go over to the to the elementary school and run like games for them, you know, organized activities.
0: Genius. Absolutely. Right? That is so, exactly what I've been thinking of. Lunch but like, But,
2: <laughs> but it, it, that's one approach, is this elective approach, right? So like doing that. Another approach is something that people are doing in New Mexico because of Tim Oliver, this activist approach where they're having young people decide what content they want to do and, you know, the, the, the parameters in which they want to do it, and it's student-centered. Another great approach is what Joy Butler's uh, created, um, RIP, she passed away um, recently, um, in, in the playing fair approach, and th- this is all about democratic approaches to creating games. Listen, th- there are so many different frameworks or approaches, meaningful physical education. I think everybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge fan of it, right? You know, um, And it, there are so many great approaches. There are so many great ways to do it. But at the end of the day, one, are the places conducive for this? Two, do the teachers even know what it is, right? And three, if it does get done and it goes against the grain of what has been done for so long, will it be accepted in those areas? And and these are three really difficult things to go up against. And teachers have the hardest job in the world, physical education and health teachers in particular, because it's generally uh, under-resourced, undervalued, and these folks are often expected to do other jobs before
3: their actual teaching job. So we need to create systems and and support places that help
2: these folks, right? That's that's my belief system. We, we We need to help teachers. Just like we need to empower young people and help young people, we need to do the same for teachers because right now the situations
3: in which they are in place, they're doing the best they can. The majority of that, we do get like bad stories
2: but that doesn't represent what, you know a bunch of people who are
3: working their butts off trying to make a better world for us are doing. Mm. Love that.
0: Steven? A lot to process, a lot yeah. of good things, a lot of hope in that statement and i'm sure we'll have a future conversation in regard to that um probably even after this recording briefly um but i know just now we're kicking around physical literacy and i guess my question was is it just a, another marketing ploy at this point and just rewording things and changing things slightly to make it seem a little better like is that like what are your thoughts on physical literacy i'm like Kind of on the fence. Well,
2: I think this is I think this is part of the problem is that the US doesn't know what it is. Right. So again, so if I if I said to you, what are your ideas on sport education? Do you know what it is?
0: Like the basics? Yeah. You go through. What's the sport, sport education a- model? Well, if I look at sport education model, you're basically replicating a sports team, a sports, whether it's professional, collegiate, whatever, and just having students fill all the roles from re- referees to officials to even like marketing directors, like news. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. So the, the purpose of the sport education
2: model is to provide an authentic sporting experience for young people. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And they do it through creating actual leagues
0: and putting it into gyms. Okay. Tell me what physical literacy is. The most I can tell you, because I haven't read Whitehead's whole thing, is that basically it's boiled down to just making sure that students can move competently in a variety of spaces and places.
1: Yeah, I hear that confidence and competence in a variety of environments is kind of what I've distilled out of it.
2: So what what you're telling me is when I asked you what sport education was, you were able to tell me right away what the different principles were, how it's framed, how it's been enacted in many different ways, um, and how it it manifests in schools, right? Mm
3: -hmm. But when I asked you what another approach to physical education is, You're like, what?
1: Well, in physical literacy's defense, it could be we're just ignorant.
3: No, it's not that you're
2: not. Actually, it's not that you're ignorant. It's a framework. It's a framework for teaching physical education. It's a six-principle framework. The problem is, and this comes back to what we, we were just talking about, is the way that it's being packaged and used in the United States. The first thing... And, and this was the, um, I don't know if they called him a the CEO or whatever it was at the time of Shape America, said the new thing we're gonna do is physical literacy in 2014, remember? This is when the new standards came out. And basically just took all of the Margaret Whitehead's work that she had been doing for decades and said, this is gonna be the new outcome of PE. Did they actually read that stuff? I have no clue. You're gonna have to ask them because what they wrote in the paper reflected nothing
3: of the framework and the model that Margaret White had created. So six principles,
2: motivation, right? Confidence and physical competence. They put those two together specifically. Why? Because they are interconnected and they affect each
3: other environmental interaction self identity self expression and having a comprehensive knowledge or understanding of things
1: yeah we don't hear about the self expression at all
0: in the environment it? you're missing we, most of those we <laughs> hear
1: environment. we, we you, do hear.
2: Do you want to know what physical literacy is, the model? It's, it's, it was created as an approach to push back against the way physical education was being taught as sport as or uh, PE sport technique. It was developed out of a phenomenological framework. It literally uses theory to inform its, its framework, to push back on the idea that the body and mind are two separate things and that we have to see them as interconnected and um, how it interacts with others and how it interacts with the environment in in particular
3: areas. So what do I think about that? Great, it's another way to advance the field forward.
2: Do, do Do I think there are problems with it? Do I think that there are limitations to it? Of course all models have limitations. There's no such thing as a perfect teaching model or, or perfect teaching approach. But I'll tell you one thing, it doesn't tell teachers what to do. It gives them the freedom to develop things on their own using principles, so it doesn't deprofessionalize them like the Spark PE model does. It doesn't place health in a biophysical sense as the main goal, and it doesn't sense that to the individual only, talks about external things, I'm down. Does it miss some things like ethnicity and gender and sexuality and how those things operate? And does it necessarily critique
3: your environment? Not necessarily, but it's a hell of a lot better than other things that are out there.
2: So what do I think of it? I think it's a model that could be used. And if I'm using it, I'm going to make changes to it. Like I do with everything that I use, I make changes. I'm a huge fan of meaningful PE. Raise my hand, I say it every day. I make changes to it. Why? Because I still think that there's other critical social justice things that, well, I don't say social justice, I say social equity and I kind of push the whole thing, but I know social justice is the word now. But you know, I like the idea of transformative and critical and there's a whole debate on language here. Um, I, I I think that that needs to be
1: added to it. Talk to me about meaningful PE. What do you want to know about it? Everything in a uh, two minutes plus. <laughs> <laughs> give give well, me that rundown real quick for us who don't. Well,
2: know. Well, well, time out. Let's let, let's 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 get down to a basic level here. What do you think of when you hear the word meaningful PE?
1: You want to take this one, Stephen? I want to look like a dummy first.
0: (laughs) I was, so that's another topic area that I haven't quite jumped into much this past year. Probably should have, but from my understanding, the basics of meaningful PE is just creating something that creates meaning, was basically what I kind of interpreted as. So, again, you create experiences for students to. Develop meaningful relations to physical activity and a whole plethora of topics.
1: Is this, again, I, don't, I might be off because, again, I don't know a lot about a lot. Uh, if I remember about Kretschmar, I'm not sure if he is Kretschmar involved in this because I love reading him and I feel
2: so, like. So, a lot of the work, a lot of the work, and there's one principle in particular of the meaningful PE approach that has adopted a lot of Kretschmar's uh, uh, philosophies.
1: Yeah, I think one of them was Joy, joy uh, was in there. I forget, I, cause I read a decent amount of Kretschmar. Which, to me, he he stuck a lot because it was the joy of movement and it looked at that aspect, which I missed. But anyway, so tell me what, what I'm missing here. Well, what do you think you're missing?
2: <laughs> I'm a teacher, mate. What what, what, what what makes something meaningful?
1: Um, you connect to it. It connects okay. to either one. Right there. Yeah.
2: That's one of their principles. It's called relevance, mm-hmm. right? So one of the principles of the meaningful PE model, or they don't say model, they say approach. I am so sorry, Tim. Um, you can take me over the coals later. Um, and you know what? Tim told me, he said that uh, the, the paper that Katie, um, Haley and I wrote is the reason he doesn't call it a model, he calls it an approach. So thank you. Um, so the, one of the principles is relevance, right? And the, the, I mean, this is this is basic stuff, right? If, if something is to have meaning, it has to be relevant to the students' lives. They have to understand what they're learning and why it matters
3: and how it relates to their life beyond PE. I think we can all agree with that.
1: 100%.
2: Right? So already, you say you don't know anything about PE or meaningful PE, and you already knew two of them. The first one was meaningfulness, right? And the second one that you said, you said joy, but the the word that they use is delight. And you know, when, when, when you think about Kretschmar's notion of delight, uh, you, you have to realize that it's really difficult to, to plan for delight, right? How do you plan for that? Um, and uh, Kretschmar would refer to it as that time where you're caught up in the moment and you don't realize like how much time went by. Remember when we were kids and like the sun went down and you're like, whoa, what just happened? That's what delight is, right? And this, yeah, so it, it, it's it's those those experiences that transcend beyond, you know, that. So personal relevance, delight. Um, given that it is related to physical education, there's obviously motor competence as part of it, right? And the idea is that the students should be learning some type of motor skill, um, and they should. But I have to say this, they're very good about this distinguishing here. When they say motor competence, they also talk about feeling competent, because that's a really big part of it. You know, a a kid could actually be competent in something, but if they don't feel competent, then they're not going to do it. So it's not just about being competent, it's also about feeling competent.
1: Yeah, I don't do things that I don't feel like I'm good at at all,
2: like golf. Um, there's also challenge, right? So if something's too easy or too hard, you're probably not going to do it, right? Um, social interaction. that's one of the main ones, and I'm missing another one, but but with the social interaction, um, it, it's 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 about uh, recognizing that movement is an incredibly social thing. And what I mean by that is Generally, when we move, especially around like physical activity, we're moving with others. Other people's movements affect the way that we move. Other people's view about us and how they make us feel about our bodies influences how we move, right? Um, And then, oh, this was it. And then the last part is fun. And instead of using the term fun, I, I like to say contextualize, right? So like doing games. Um, doing things where things are applied rather than decontextualized. We've all been in those PE classes where kids are like just doing skill back and forth, but they're actually not playing the game, right? So that, that's the whole purpose of, of meaningful PE. So um, if I can do another rundown in my head. Uh, relevance, you brought that up. You brought delight up. Um, you brought up, well, I brought up motor competence. Um, I can do this. Personally, a uh, uh, challenge has to have the right challenge and it has to have, it should be, it should be impl- uh, embedded into something. It should be fun. Um, and there's a social interaction element, making sure that you know students are working together on things, but also reflecting on that. But again, something that needs to be recognized and the same with Whitehead's m- approach, um, you shouldn't see these principles as isolated. You shouldn't go, oh, we're doing social interaction today. No, like you 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 sort of see them as interconnected and then building on each other.
1: Yes. Yeah, so when I had first read this, because I, I had read about Meaningful PE and I knew Fletcher. And I think you even, Stephen, when I was talking about Kretschmar, you were like, Are you sure you're not talking about Fletcher? Like and, and it was it was I see how they were they were all built. That matched my philosophy. That literally matched my philosophy. And I had no theory behind it. All I had was life experience, right? Literally, like I, a kid asked me today, and again, I'm gonna, you know, get a little ego right here. Are you ready for this? Mr. S, how are you so cool? That's the question the kid told me. And I said this, ready? And you're gonna love this answer. I never forgot what it was like to be a kid. That's literally my answer. So with that idea of never forgetting what it was like to be a kid, Uh, On all ends, getting yelled at by adults, getting praised by adults, having fun, like all those things that go into it. That's how I approach creating my phys ed class. Like, how am I going to not yell at kids? Because I didn't like to be yelled at. Low bar. (laughs) 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 How do I not make them feel like shit? Literally, that's the lowest bar you possibly can set. Yet, some people don't even have that bar unfortunately right and then what are we going to do that's fun that's enjoyable that brings them that me i want the kid to want to be there and and you know you read the things like if they had to pay would they be there if they didn't have to be there would they come to you read all this i want the kid when they're coming to my subject area no matter what it's it's even health now i have the same philosophy yo we have health Yo, we have phys ed. Yo, I have science. I don't care what your subject is. Like that excitement because we're having that joy in there. And I give everyone the same speech. Learning should be fun. And the only reason why you think learning is not fun is because we haven't created the right parameters to have fun, to have joy, to have delight while we're doing it. So anyway, long story short, when I look at Meaningful PE, it jived. A lot of it did jive with my philosophy that I naturally created without Understanding all the other things that came, and again, I did miss some of the ethnicity and culture in it because I didn't know. You know, I grew up as a suburbanite white dude that didn't talk about these things. But, anyway. but,
2: but again, that's what about these these approaches are. Which one do you identify with as a teacher that can augment your ability, and do they respond to your students as well? Those are two things that I think about my students and do I agree with this and can it help my teaching? I found when I taught elementary PE, the the methods course, that meaningful physical education worked. So my entire class was around meaningful PE. It blew everybody, you know, very mad at me. What do you mean you're not using dynamic physical education? What do you mean you're not giving them
3: lessons on how to teach? I'm not.
1: Not who I am. Steven, any thoughts? Because we got to wrap this up soon. We're going on two hours. It's been amazing. Yeah. I, I already knew it was going to look at Dylan. He didn't even know. Poor dude. He's not getting. Delight. I, I, I,
0: yes. I, delight, fun, or sorry, delight, relevance. We can go on and on and on. But I think there were a lot of truth spoken and some of the big ones I picked up on just in the last few moments were: you got to know yourself, you got to know your students, and it's kind of about it. Teaching's pretty easy, right? Just get like yeah. a book now and sell it, and just see what happens.
2: <laughs> and Sorry. you know, we get, we get better, right? And um, yes. In recognizing that we're not perfect and we're going to fail, and if you're not failing, that means you're not trying. You know, <laughs> the amount of times that I've done lessons that i just flopped. <laughs> That's okay, right? So. It's been a flop
0: week.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, if, this if week, I, tomorrow. I like, um, I like the idea of being critical, and I've said it before. Um, I'm critical of Shape New Jersey. This is produced by Shape New Jersey. This will go out to Shape New Jersey. I'm critical of them. I'm critical of shape America, but you know who else? I'm also critical of myself, first and foremost. And, and I constantly look at what I'm doing, the impact, the all, all of it. So when I when you said earlier that that idea of being critical is looked at as negative, right? No, no, no. I give I give you my energy, right? I give you my time. There's literally nothing more important that I could give you in my life than my time and energy. It is so finite. I have a firm grasp of that. And and I live, you know, I got a million jobs. I do a million things. My time and energy is so finite. And the fact that I am willing to be critical of you shows how much I love you. I want Shape New Jersey to be one of the best. and, And again, I know you can't quantify but I want it to grow. I want to push it. I want Shape America to grow. I want to push it. In any way I can. I want myself to grow, which is why I listen to Dylan Landy. Dylan, we give our, la- listen, no, don't shake your head. There are very few people where I'm like, yo, when this person talks, I need to really pay attention and focus and make sure I- I'm wrapping my head around things, uh, which, which is amazing. So I was super psyched about this. Plus I know it's going to be two hours. Anyway, I, my wife's not happy with me. All right. We always give guests our last the last word anything you want it could be about this it could be about a personal statement you could literally talk about anything you have the last time
2: oh hey I mean I I don't think there's any one thing I can say but you know it if you're doing the stuff that you're doing just keep trying new things and find the thing that jives with you um, most importantly you know continue learning and continually reflecting. Um, We we can talk about being negative or critical. And I I think that, you know, people and what we do are products of what have happened to us before and the spaces that we inhabit. Um, So thinking about those places, thinking about us as people and thinking about those around us, you know, what's best for the young people in front of me And how can I help them become the best version of themselves, not the version of them that I want today, that they want today and provide them that wiggle room, that space to to be that person. So um, thank you to all the thousands of teachers out there who are doing it already in the US. Um, Health and PE, you guys are rocking it. Without you, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. All right. Sure. We appreciate
1: you. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan.
0: All right, Thanks one. for jumping on. And
1: that's kind of cut. it. All right. Let's cut this. Dude.